0: Welcome to Think Jewish, tonight's lecture on Pasha's Vayikra, beginning of the third book, the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus obviously is not an exact translation, it's just called Leviticus because the third book of the Chumash, the five books of Moses, talks primarily about the laws of the tribe of Levi in the Holy Temple. The uh, actual Hebrew name is Vayikra, and he called and it refers to God who called Moses, Vayikra. And the name of tonight's class is A Voice in the Night, which actually, forgive me that I cannot give appropriate credit to the author, but actually it's a story that I read for my writing class called A Voice in the Night. I do not remember who the author is, and it actually talks about, it's a beautiful story based upon the story of Samuel the prophet when Samuel the prophet hears God calling his name and he thought it was the high priest Ailey that was calling him and it was Ailey who figured out that it's actually he's hearing God's voice and that builds off that story into a modern day story it was very it's beautifully written it's called A Voice in the Night so I want to just tonight's class called A Voice in the Night based on the story I read because of the opening of the Parsha Vayikra and he called and, of course, many rabbis discuss why there's a little Aleph, By Vayikra. There's three types of letters in the Torah. Um, 98% of the letters is uh, all regular size. Then there's the little letters, Zira, which means small in Aramaic, And then there's Rabati, which means big. Vayikra has a small Aleph. Vav Yud Kofresh is regular size. And then there's a small Aleph. We talk about the humility of Moses versus the opposite of humility of Adam because he has a big Aleph in the closing book of Divri HaYamim Chronicles. But this concept of Vayikra and God called to Moses. I think almost everyone at some stage in their life awaits for that voice in the night. Almost everyone goes to that questioning, what does God want me to do? Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right area? Am I in the right profession? Am I living in the right country? Am I living in the right state? We always question this. And many of us deeply would like to know what does it mean? You know, some people they're blessed with this concept of, you know, this is my calling and they're certain about it. This is my calling. The medical field is my calling. The legal field is my calling. And they really believe that this is the talent and the passion that God gave them because that is their calling that is their destiny so those people who know that for certain for tonight's conversation we're going to refer to it as they heard the voice in the night they heard God tell them why your soul was sent down here of course you have to do Torah and mitzvot, but every soul that comes down has the general mandate to do torah and mitzvot but has a specific arena in which god wants he or she to fulfill their destiny so if you feel that you have your calling and you're passionate about it and this is why you wake up with enthusiasm knowing that i'm doing why i'm sent down into this world god bless you you heard your voice in the night But many people, no matter how good they are at what they do, they consistently plague themselves with this question of doubt. What is my calling? Where should I be? What should I be doing? And many times when people go through this doubt, they're looking for a sign. They're looking for a sign. Now, there are those in the Torah Who design was very simple. It was a clear voice of God talking to them. We find that by Abraham, at a certain point, God talks to him and tells him, you're in the wrong place. You were here until now, but now it's time for lech lecha, go. Moses, minding his own business with his sheep, a burning bush, very clear directive, God tells Moses what his destiny is. You are the first Mashiach the Jewish people will ever have. You're there to take them out of Egypt. Samuel the prophet, which I mentioned, that the novel, that little short story, is based upon very clearly. Before he was born, his mother made a promise. She keeps her promise, brings him to the high priest Eli samuel the prophet is to be brought up in the holy temple but even that is not yet the end of the story besides being brought up in the holy temple and clearly knowing what he was going to do he actually hears the voice in the night he actually physically tangibly hears his name being called to the point where he is certain that ailey the prophet is calling him most of us don't get that most of us don't get such a clear perfect unquestionable sign some of us do what this class is going to be about is for the average person you and i who don't get our names called in the middle of the night how do we know what our calling is it's very interesting I want to share with you a teaching of the Rebbe blessed memory when the Rebbe says as follows the Rebbe says that there's godly sparks in the world that awaits for a specific soul to elevate it you're not going to elevate my sparks and my I'm not going to elevate your sparks there are sparks that are waiting from the six days of creation those who follow the teachings of Kabbalah the way it's brought down on in Hasidus know that before this world was created there was another world a spiritual dimension called tohu chaos the light was too great the vessel was too thin the vessel shattered the sparks of that vessel came down into this world and that's what we talk about when we speak about elevating the godly sparks the way kabbalah and chasidist translates this is that our job is to be able to internalize the infinite light of tohu into the finite vessels of tikkun and we do that by simply living the appropriate life you make a blessing before you eat you eat the food and you use the strength that you get from the food to serve god the godly spark in that food is elevated this goes on in many different areas the fifth labah Rebbe was once traveling with his son the sixth labah Rebbe and they saw from a distance, two Hasidim were sitting under a tree and they were talking words of Torah and the father turned to the son, the fifth Abba of Trebbe turned around to his son and said from the six days of creation, that spot was waiting for these two Jews to sit in the shade of that tree and study Torah. So and whenever you use a physical object, a physical experience, a physical place for a spiritual purpose, Your soul is elevating the godly sparks that it was meant to elevate. So now the Rebbe explains that there are those who know exactly where the sparks are and they travel there. Those are the righteous ones who are called by our sages, the eyes of the congregation. They're blessed with the eyes that see where they belong, when they belong there. Then the Rebbe goes on to say but the rest of us we don't have that power of sight so by us the only way we know that we are where we're supposed to be is the faith in those words that the footstep of man is prepared by God. So the fact that I'm here now tells me in hindsight that this is where my calling is. And if you follow the Jewish story—you'll find this amazingly, because Jews are noted—they're uh, notorious for moving from place to place. And if you look at them, you'll see. Obviously, people are brought to the right place at the right time. One of the perfect examples is a shidduch. You look at where you come from, where the other one comes from, how you met, and they, it just—it's just someone up there is moving pieces around at the right time. For the right pre- people to be in the right space and the right uh, energy and to meet each other at the right time. So, you meet the right person at the wrong time, you still won't be married to them. You gotta wait, it's gotta be in the right place and the right time, and then, of course, the right person. So, you follow this concept, you'll notice that we're all having a voice in the night, but most of us don't hear it. Hindsight will tell me that I was always in the right place at the right time. And just because I don't hear doesn't mean that there's a lack of Vayikra. God is calling but I don't hear. Now let's talk about what that's supposed to mean. I'd like to redo the entire story of the Megillah for you for a moment because in the mystical books Ahasuerus refers to God Esther refers to the Jewish people Haggai the one that was in charge of the beauty contest to make sure that the women had everything they needed represents the angel that provides the Jew with the energy they're supposed to have. Haman, of course, is the bad person. So everything is taking place in the Megillah on a much higher level. It physically manifested itself in the story, in the physical Esther, in the physical Mordecai, the physical Haman. But there's a lot of secrets going on here. It's very interesting, the Torah we're taught that the Torah is contrary to what we think. We think that the Torah talks to us down here and it hints about things up there. In the Book of Kabbalah it's quite the contrary. The Torah talks about what's going on up there and it hints to us what's going on down here. Down here is a reflection of what's going on up there. So let's focus for a moment on this beautiful teaching that uh, the Rebbe gave in I believe it was in 1957 a long long mimer on that poem, and the rebbe introduces us to a very interesting play of the word achashverosh and a play of the word esther obviously the rebbe is quoting sages esther we are taught esther the word esther in the torah the talmud tells us where is esther hidden in the torah everything that happens in the world has to be hidden in the five books of moses so it asks over there, where do we know Haman from? Where do we know Mordechai from? Where do we know Esther from? And Esther comes from a verse that Moses tells the Jewish people in Deuteronomy in his farewell speech. Haster, astir. Hastir, astir es ponai. I, says God, hide will hide my face. There has been no time in the Jewish history which has been as dark as the time of Purim. Why? Because one of the things Rashi tells us in Deuteronomy when God rebukes the Jewish people and says and if you're not going to go in my ways and yada 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 there's a blessing there. And what is that blessing? The blessing is that the Jewish people will be scattered amongst the nations. Says Rashi that while God is rebuking the Jewish people with harsh words he tells them the secret of their survival. You'll never all together be under one domain and thus if you look at the history of the jewish people whenever one portion of the jewish people was attacked the other portion of the jewish people was there to help so when this fire was suffering in spain the ashkenazic jews were able to open up their arms receive them in amsterdam and everywhere else the holocaust was primarily over the european the ashkenazic jews the only time in history where the entire jewish people faced annihilation is read the opening of the Megillah, and he was Ahasuerus who ruled over 127 provinces. Which, by the way, Kabbalah connects that with Sarah, because Sarah lived 127 years. And what happens? There, there, Sarah, the wife of Abraham. So what happens over here is that the Jewish people were all under Ahasuerus And when Haman wanted to make a decree to kill all the Jewish people that were in Ahasuerus' kingdom, that meant total annihilation, which is actually against what God promised while He rebuked us in Deuteronomy. So now you understand that even according to the rebuke of God, this was a deeper darkness than was ever mentioned. The Jewish people never faced annihilation. We faced Big Tzarus, six million which we now know is. A little number—it's not what the real number is. We just keep that number because it became famous. Spanish Inquisition—we're talking about huge numbers, but never annihilation. So therefore, the times of Esther is a hastir astir. I will conceal, double conceal my face from you. So now we know. That the story of Purim is the story of the Jews in exile. When the Jews are facing a hastir-astir. Conceal, I will conceal. God, we said, in the, in the Megillah is referred to as Achashverosh. By the way, one of the reasons that we wear, we wear masks and costumes on Purim is because of what I'm telling you. hastir Aster, concealed. It is the only book of the 24 written books that doesn't have God's name in it even once. The mystical teaching that in the Megillah, when it says Achashverosh, it is a reflection of God, that's a mystical teaching. But we very clearly see that from God's point of view, he's hidden. From the Jewish people's point of view, he is hidden. And it's all about Megillah Esther, Haster, which, by the way, in itself is a beautiful thing. Because the Torah doesn't hint to her Jewish name, which was Hadassah, it hints to a Persian name which was Aster Hester, Esther They're hiding So what does the name Ahashverosh mean? So there are different teachings The more famous one you may have heard Was that the name Ahashverosh refers to God Because you play with the word Ahashverosh And you're going to come up with the two words Acharit vereshit To he who the end and the beginning belongs to That's God this mimer the Rebbe plays with the word differently he talks about chash. the word chash. and the word rosh not the rosh rosh. it's not the word which you which you mean head it's not Rash alef shin it's rather rashin rashin will mean either bitter or it will mean poor two words but now let's talk about the first half of the words which we want to focus on for tonight. What does chash mean? Chash <laughs> means quiet, silence. Remember King Solomon says, there's a time to talk and there's a time lachshot meledaber, to remain silent from talking. So <laughs> Achashverosh, just like Astir, just like Esther is talking to us about a time of exile Achashverosh represents god in the time of exile and what is the definition of god in the time of exile silence so we're talking about a voice in the night and we're talking about silence one of the issues of exile in general and the personal exile is all based upon the silence of the voice in the night. This, that we have to live our entire lives without ever being able to tangibly point a finger and say, the voice in the night told me that this is my calling. So I can go ahead and pursue a career, I think it's the right career, putting in all my effort into that, and I'm always asking myself, is this the right calling? I'm sure every one of us, if we're not the one, we have at least one amongst our friends who have danced from one profession to another, finished uh, getting a law degree, is already hopping into another degree. It, it, it just, we don't know. There's nothing that grabs us with a certainty and says, stop, this is your road. Stop checking the other stop signs and the other directional signs. This is your road. Stick to it. And on that road, you'll come across everything and everyone that you need to meet. Many of us are very antsy. We're antsy because we're missing the certainty that this is my calling. And that's why many of us, unfortunately, end up as a jack of many trades. But we don't end up as a permanent professional in one we're always looking over our shoulder is there something else I should be doing and this goes on with everything how many of us people go on a date and instead of 100% seeing the he or she who's sitting across the table is wondering and being comparative but what's about the other one, what's about this one? because there is no certainty that tells us stop, just be here right now this is the person you're with open your eyes and ears to only this person Be here for a moment. See this person. Most of us, my daughter told me just recently, um, she suffers terribly from FOMO. Does anyone here know what FOMO is? Okay, so you're not in the texting world. FOMO means fear of missing out. (laughs) That's what our generation suffers from. Because if we're not sure we belong here, so while we're here having a great time, we're having a FOMO attack because we found out that someone else is having a better time or not a better time over there. And we do that when we date. We're sitting with this person having a total FOMO attack. Well, what, maybe the other person. <laughs> and that comes because we don't have the voice in the night. We're dealing with Ahashverosh. We're dealing as God is our God in the dimension of Ahashverosh. And why is God in the dimension of Achashverosh? Because we are in the dimension of Esther. Because we're living in, a, in a, an experience of hidden concealment. We don't have the holy temple on which every person can come and see. Jerusalem is windy. The Temple Mount is windy. And the smoke of the altar is not being pushed away by the wind. That miracle. Any Jew who had a moment where they were doubting just had to walk up the Temple Mount and look and see just that one of ten miracles to know that God's voice is with us. We don't have that today. Today we're all Haster Aster and therefore our relationship with God is through the relationship of rosh, the Chash the silence of the voice. Let's talk about as as a chassid of the Rebbe let's talk about what that means to me personally. So once upon a time, it was very simple, I had a doubt in life I wanted to know, hear my voice in the night. I wrote a letter to the Rebbe, and with the help of God, the Rebbe answered the letter. And Once the Rebbe answered the letter, regardless of how painful my experience would thereafter be, yes or no, the one thing I wouldn't have is doubt. It's one thing if you go through hardship, and that alone is painful. But to go through hardship knowing with a certainty that there's been no mistake made here. This is the road. The road gets bumpy. whoop you doo Life is full of potholes. But I know that this is the road that I have to travel. How do I know? It's because Moses, the servant of God of our generation clearly answered me and circled this choice. This is what? If I rode in, should I do A, B, or C? And the Rebbe circled one of those A, B, or C's. Done. Let it be as hard as it may be. I'm not in doubt that I'm living the wrong life. This is my road. What I do on this road, do I drag my feet? Do I fight with God? Do I just hold his hand and walk with him? That will be my choice. But the road is the right road. What happens after... The Rebbe passed away and we can't write a letter to the Rebbe and get a clear answer. What do you do now? you understand how Ahasuerus is real to us? Haster, aster? So there's an answer from the Rebbe. The Rebbe in the 1950s when he first took over leadership someone asked him a question and he told him that you should go to the gravesite of the Rebbe my father-in-law and you should ask him. So the person answered the rebbe. <laughs> uh-uh. I'll ask the rebbe. I'll go to the gravesite and I'll ask the previous rebbe, but I'm not going to hear the answer. And and I, I don't doubt for a moment that a tzaddik doesn't just retire. As the gemara Mesechta Soita says, Moses worked there and he works here. He doesn't. I mean, the rebbe once said about his father-in-law. That this whole concept of him being in the graveyard right now is nothing more than he moved over his office from Eastern Parkway to Springfield Boulevard. That's all. A tzaddik, his dimension, of how he works. No tzaddik just goes to heaven and says, "I did my job, God. I'm sorry. Now send someone else." A rebbe continues his work. If not from down here, from up there. So the chosid didn't doubt that when the rebbe told him to go to my father and ask him, that the previous rebbe will hear him. The problem is that I need an answer. If it's just important to ask the question, mission accomplished. But if I'm asking a question because I need an answer, the fact that the Rebbe can hear me doesn't help me. I need to hear the Rebbe. The voice in the night is not about me talking to God. It's about God talking to me. This week's Parsha is not an, and Moses asked God. It's Yikra El Moshe, God spoke to Moses. That's what we need. The voice in the night needs to give us direction. So the Rebbe answered him. You go and ask the Rebbe. The Rebbe was talking about the previous Rebbe. And trust that the Rebbe will find a way to answer you. Now, this galut that you have to trust that the Rebbe will find a way to answer you rather than to call up the secretariat and hear. Yes, we brought your question into the Rebbe and the Rebbe's circle, this answer, or the Rebbe said this, or the Rebbe said to tell you this. That's the greatest galut. But the bottom line is that that's the situation we're living with. So the voice of the night today is very different and very difficult. The voice of the night today tells us that it's beyond arrogance for me to believe that I'm going to have what Abraham, Moses, or Samuel the prophet had. So let me go on and tell you again personally. I'm just sharing with you the, this class to me on a personal level. So I have friends who actually literally told me the story where they would go into the Ohel and they would pray to Hashem and ask for guidance and then they would read the Rebbe the letter and you'd place it on the gravesite the question that they had. I have friends who clearly told me, and these are not people who are fantasizers and have to worry about them making up stories. These are friends I know for years. Clearly, they told me when they came out of the gravesite, the ohel, when they came back into that room where you wash your hands, and tha- there's a video that plays from the Rebbe. They've told me that there are times that literally they found a video of themselves going by the Rebbe for dollars years previously. Another friend told me that the Rebbe was talking in that Fabringen that they were playing on the video exactly about what he was asking the Rebbe. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard is from a man who lives in Tzvat. And he actually runs over there a school and he asked the Rebbe in the early years, right after the Rebbe passed away, asked the Rebbe for a clear sign that the Rebbe is still with him in his work, that he works for the Rebbe in the schools in Israel. As he walked out of the Rebbe's, what we call the Ohel, the secretary Rabbi Benjamin Klein walks over him and tells him by the way I have a letter for you from the Rebbe that we just found what was the letter for your organization about 10-15 years ago you made a dinner you asked the Rebbe to send you a letter the blessing to the dinner and for some reason it ended up in our office and never got to you and I want to give it to you this is a story of a man that I know a man of flesh and blood that I know these stories Are clearly a voice in the night. It's clearly a voice in the night. He asked the Rebbe for a sign that you're with me in my work that I work for you and he doesn't even take three steps out of where the Rebbe is buried and the Rebbe's secretary tells him we found for you a letter that we never sent you from the Rebbe to your work. That's an amazing story but let's go back. Not everyone has that story. I personally have asked the Rebbe clearly for a sign in specific situations what to do and I, I was all excited because of my friends I was excited that I'm going to walk out of here I'm going to walk straight in I'm going to see a video the Rebbe is going to answer me The Rebbe is going to tell me some secretary is going to walk up to me no secretary no video no nada and now you go crazy by the way because faith will drive you over the brink because for the next 48 hours anyone you meet and anyone you speak to your mind is racing, okay this is the Rebbe sending her to me to tell me this who, what, when, you go nuts, you really go nuts, it's not a joke because faith tells you it's real the Rebbe finds his way to answer you, end the story, period God tells you where you belong, when you belong but now because you're looking for a direct voice in the night You're going bonkers. We're trying to live in a level that we don't live. If I myself am stuck in the depths of Esther, in the depths of Achashverosh, the exile of concealment, the exile of silence, rather than the voice, and for me to say, no, I was just by the ohel, and I broke through all barriers, and now there's going to be an open revelation. The voice in the night is coming to talk to me. That's why they created Prozac. (laughs) It's real. So why, what am I trying to share here tonight? What I'm trying to share tonight there's going to be people around you who are going to tell you stories. You've got to know who's telling you. Some people tell you stories. They opened up a book of the letters of the Rebbe. That book that was never printed yet. The letter was never printed yet. It's all beautiful bubble Mises. It's all part of the Bubba mices. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be people who are honest. They're honest. They're able to have that. For whatever reason, the Rebbe chose that with this person I'm okay with relating this way. And then there are going to be people that are going to tell you miracles. They walked out and then Klein, Rabbi Benjamin Klein walked over and told them, I have a letter from the Rebbe of you. There are going to be people that are going to sit in the tent just not knowing what direction is the voice going to come to me from. And you watched your eyes. Everyone who walks up to them, you see their eyes open up and then shut. Nah, this wasn't it. What is for a fact, what is for a fact that Ahashverosh exists? What that means in the Mimer what the Rebbe is saying is that God talks to everyone but for some people it's through vocal sound and to some people it's through silence and that's the bitterness of exile the doubt the doubt of whether there is a voice or the arrogance that's going to tell God how to talk to you, when to talk to you. We don't have that power. We don't have that power. And sometimes we open up ourselves to stupidity. And then later we blame God. Because faith sometimes masks a very unhealthy naivete. Because if I believe that this is the voice of God, whether it makes sense or doesn't make sense, whether my accountant and my best friends and my teachers are telling me, this doesn't make sense, what are you doing? He's not the guy for you. This is not the business for you. Are you nuts? You're just packing up your bags and moving because you had a voice in the night that told you you're in the wrong state? But faith does that. And Munah says, I don't care what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. If this is what God's telling me, what does a Jew answer? From the first day on, Hineni. The problem is, who said it's the voice of God? We need to open ourselves up to the fact that exile is real. And the voice of God sometimes comes through chash, and sometimes comes through roish. Sometimes it's not sweet and open. I can point my finger and say, I know who I need to be with, where I need to be, and what profession my calling is. And that makes it so much harder. And now let me talk to you in more Kabbalistic language. Simply speaking, every nation has a ministering angel. We refer to it as the 70 ministering angels. The Jewish people, we have Mechael. That's why it's a very, very known Sephardic practice. They give charity in the number of 101. Because the numerical value of Michael is 101. Michael is the famous ministering angel of kindness. We speak about it in the closing prayer, the most powerful prayer of Yom Kippur. We talk about Michael, the the angel Michael. Now, In simple Kabbalistic terms, when the Jewish people are where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to be, then their connection of sustenance is direct. However, the definition of exile is that the Jewish person's source of sustenance has to go through the ministering angel of the country in which he or she lives. Because exile means I don't have a direct face-to-face relationship. Let's look at it this way. The rich man earns his living straight from God. The verse says that, Hita Asher. The blessing of God is what makes rich. The poor person also receives his sustenance from God. Only, unfortunately, he has to get it from the rich man who gives him charity. The poor man knows when he goes home that he has to thank the rich man for giving him charity as you thank the waiter, not as you thank the owner. Because the rich man is just the waiter. So the difference is whether you're receiving it direct from God or whether you have to go to the uncomfortability of receiving it from a waiter, through a waiter. It's the same thing with the voice of God. There is an amazing schut To be able to break through the Esther and break through the Achashverosh. And to be able to have directly from God that unquestionable, undoubtable calling. This is my calling and I'm not budging from this calling. Other grass might be greener. The other person might be better. Everything fine. But this is my side of the field. This is where I belong and I'm not budging from here. And no matter what happens to me or what happens around me, I am content because if God told me that this is my lot, then that's exactly what I want. Not a drop more and not a drop less. But however, others, most of the Jewish people, 99.99999% of the Jewish people in the times of exile cannot break through Esther cannot break through Achashverosh. And what we have to do is open ourselves up with humility that the voice of God actually may be coming to us through the most natural of ways. That's all. This one knows that one who knows that one that was impressed with you and his wife has a friend who she wants you to meet. That was the voice of God introducing you to your soulmate. Not romantic at all. He, she, they don't even know me. What are you talking about? She really knows me to set me up. It just sounds so far-fetched. And he lives there, and I live here, and this and that, and boom. And all of a sudden, that was the voice of God. He, she, him, her, a cousin, a best friend. He broke up with her and she feels bad for him so she wants to introduce him to you. I mean, you know, it works, right? But who knows? The voice of God. The voice in the night. Same thing with business. The same thing with everything else in your life. This notion that God's going to tell it to me straight in my face... That's not now. That's when the Bet was standing. Most of us will look back in the rear view mirror and then see the voice of God who spoke to me yesterday. And then we look ahead of us and again we don't know where we're going, how we're going, God, is this where you want me? And that's why the second part of the name HaShvei Rosh, Rosh means poor and Rosh means bitter because it isn't sweet when I have to listen to the call of nature and be able to tell myself this is the voice of God talking to me in the times of exile through the voice of nature. As Jewish people we always separated the voice of God and the voice of nature. The voice of nature tempted us, the voice of God guided us. And all of a sudden today we're finding out in the laws of exile that there is this beginning moment when we start our relationship with God it's going to be one and the same the hand of God in the glove of nature the voice in the night in the voice of nature you won't know where you have to be until an unbelievable job opportunity opens up and you're being transferred and you never thought that you're going to live in that state and God's telling you In Chabad, we're never going to end up any lecture. We're just talking about the darkness of exile and the we, we need to talk about redemption, right? That's what it's all about. So this is what the Rebbe says in that mimer. How does a Jewish person overcome Esther and Ahashverish? How do we overcome the confusion and the doubt? How can we know in the voice of silence that God's voice is talking to me? The Rebbe's answer is one word. Total humility. Just total humility. Stop thinking that God has to give you the unbelievable revelation experience. It's okay. If you just live with the Baal Shem Tov's teaching, that everything you see and everything you hear is God talking to you. Just be humble. Stop thinking that you are the upcoming rising Moses who God's gonna come to in the burning bush. Stop thinking that spiritually we accomplish so much that we deserve. I'm gonna quote to you something a video that's out there called Amadeus, the story of Mozart. I don't know if you guys ever saw that video or not. What was the name of the guy who's who? Who? Salieri. Salieri. (coughs) You remember what Salieri was so tortured by? Me, so refined, so upright and I'm not the vessel for your ultimate gift of music? That nobody The guy who has no self-respect, the guy who's just a party person, zero refinement, this Mozart he's the one that you chose to be the conduit for your greatest gift of music in that time or of all times. His arrogance which seemed to be right if you stood him and Mozart in front of a king and let the king choose who is going to be the representation of his power of music. It wouldn't have been Mozart. Mind you, Mozart is buried in a mass unmarked grave. But the bottom line is that it's really unbelievable that what stopped Solitario from being the conduit was his arrogance. How could it be, God? You need to talk like a mensch, not through some drunken. Wasn't a drunken, but whatever it was. We do the same thing to God. This can't be a sign of God. This is this is a sign of God. This is nature. This is some backhand slap. It's not God talking to me. That's not the voice of the night. Not good. <laughs> Share with you another interesting story. Used to stand by the forbringing in front of me stood a person. Not gonna mention his name, obviously. And you know, by a bringing you would hold your cup. And you would uh, wait for the Rebbe to say Lachayim. That means the Rebbe would talk and then they would sing. And while they were singing, you'd hold up your cup of wine and you'd say lachaim to the Rebbe to receive a blessing. This guy in front of me, he's holding his cup. And I see the Rebbe nod to him. I tell him, the Rebbe told you L'chaim. I'll never forget the words he told me back. No, nah, that's not what I meant. I need a real lachaim. It's a true story. I was blown away when I saw when the coming back the second time the Rebbe gave him a full nod L'chaim. He looked at me he smiled and said that's what I meant. Beautiful but if I were to try that I might have never got the second L'chaim. Not everyone gets that. For whatever reason his simplicity opened him up to that. Maybe I'm just not blessed with that simplicity. And for me to think because God did it for someone else he has to do it for me is ridiculous. It's arrogant. We need to be opened up to say we're in exile and this time God's going to talk to me through silence. It's going to be the weirdest way of God introducing to me someone, something, somewhere and all my life I'm going to have to fight with Emunah. That was God. It wasn't this friend who knows this friend or this friend. Remember what happened. Mordechai was in a very challenging spot. Mordechai didn't have to turn to God. Mordechai had a niece. He should have just gone running to Esther. Mordechai had to face the challenge. What do I think is going to happen here? Is it God or is it my connections? Today we live with that challenge. Because every time God talks to us today, it's through the achashverosh format. And if I'm not going to be humble and say that God is the only speaker in my life, However, God talks to me through many different people, through many different experiences, through many different situations. We'll always have that challenge. Not all of us have the right, the schut, or the schut avot, to be able to tell God, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I want a full-blown l'chaim, not just a nod like you give everyone. I want to be isolated, personalized, I want you to talk to me and me alone. I want a full-blown nod, you, boy chick, l'chaim. Not everyone has that. And therefore, a voice in the night is all based upon what I started this class with. Can you have a little aleph? Can you be humble? Can you be able to tell Hashem however you choose to talk to me? Of course, I would really prefer if you can make a reservation for a table for two, candle night dinner, and talk to me. Just tell me what you want for me, where you want for me. You already know my answer is Hineni. I would prefer that, God. If you want to do it at the burning bush again, that's cool. If you want to do it while I'm sleeping and call my name, that's cool too. Whatever you want, God. But I'd really like to have it an appointment for two only. You and me. I could tell that to God but I need a little Aleph. And God, if you happen to want to talk to me by the red and blue light flashing behind me, giving me a speeding ticket, telling me of Rumi, slow down, slow down. What are you rushing in life? Okay, it'll cost me $158. Don't ask me how I know the exact price, but... <laughs> Bottom line is, then I have to say, you know what, Hashem? That was a voice in the night. May we only have the sweet and beautiful voice in the night when Mashiach come right away and we won't have to talk about this of quietness and bitterness, but rather open and revealed communication. People, thank you.